Hello and welcome to yet another episode of How Not to Suck at the Stocks. This is your host, Dan Hansen. This show is for entertainment purposes only and extremely not safe for work. Uh, this particular episode is on value investing versus growth investing. Now, two caveats. One, I understand that most investors are a combination of the two. Uh, caveat number two is I'm referring to investors, not speculators, not day traders, not people who buy up a bunch of options before an earnings release or something of the sort. I'm referring to investors. So, all right, let's, uh, let's dive in. So my definition of a value investor is someone who is pri predominantly looking for price multiple expansion. Not necessarily looking for the earnings to grow like a son of a bitch when they buy a company. Whereas a growth investor is essentially the opposite. This is someone who, when they buy a company, they're not necessarily looking for the price multiple to expand, but they're looking for the earnings to grow like a son of a bitch. And really all I'm saying is both types are looking for inefficiencies in the market. The value investor is looking for inefficiencies in how a company uh, is being valued, whereas a growth investor is looking for growth prospects that perhaps aren't being valued correctly. Now, you could say that, well, aren't really just saying the same thing? Really, doesn't just come down to valuation? Aren't the two joined at the hip? And sure, I mean, you, you, could, you could conflate the two if you want. This is just how I... Uh, I think of them. And uh, real quick, there is an alternative uh, strategy that value investors use. Essentially, I guess you could call it arbitrage, where they are expecting earnings expansion, earnings growth, and that's when earnings are temporarily depressed, whether through a one-time event or a recession or um, perhaps through accounting gimmickry, whatever the case may be. And that is a case where someone, a value investor, will buy a company expecting the earnings to earnings to grow. But uh, some some warnings I would have for value investors is what you're essentially doing is jumping from lily pad to lily pad. Because let's say you buy an average company because it has a low multiple. Well, once that company's multiple converges to the market average, you have to sell the company. Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck with an average company making an average return. And who wants who wants to be average? So you have to sell it. And when you sell it, well, one, you're going to pay taxes, and that's a huge drag, unfortunately. And uh, number two, uh, you have to find a new company. So it's a lot of work. You're constantly looking for these diamonds, diamonds in the rough. And it requires an odd faith in Wall Street because you're buying this company saying Wall Street is mispricing it today but Wall Street will correctly price it in the future. And of course, Wall Street has to correctly price it in the future before the bottom falls out of that company. And one of the, how I define a decent company is a company that's one step away from being a piece of shit. And a piece of shit company is one company that's away from being bankrupt, for Christ's sake. So that's why I don't really have a lot of faith in, in value investing. I think value investors get themselves into a lot of trouble. I think they get cute. And the, and the second warning would be, Wall Street's really good when it comes to spreadsheets. Like these firms have just 
scores of spreadsheet monkeys and all the publicly available data and and all and their in-house research teams and everything they punch all this data into a spreadsheet and it spits out their valuation and so if you're telling me that your competitive advantage against wall street is in excel and your ability to value um public knowledge I'd be kind of surprised. It's certainly not my competitive advantage if I have one. Uh, you know, if it's yours, I'm not trying to take away f- from you. I'm just saying I, I'd be skeptical of that being a strategy that would work for most people. Let's just say because I, I think, I think the spreadsheet is the one thing that Wall Street does pretty well. Uh, and one warning I'd have to growth investors is just account for multiple decay. And what essentially that means is. If you invest in a company that has a high multiple, um, well, and you and you hold it for a few years, your investment return isn't necessarily going to match that of the earnings return, the, the earnings growth rather, because that price multiple can be contracting. It can be decaying over that time. In fact, generally speaking, price multiples decay for a company. And again, this is very generally speaking. So let's just talk about the life cycle of a business. Um, when a company is new or if a company has a lot of new products in the pipeline, same thing, uh, then they might demand a very high price multiple, or if they're not, if they're pre-profit, then they might have not, not have any price multiple, but assuming they have a profit, they might demand a very high price multiple. Um, at least the ones that growth investors perhaps would be interested in. Well, all that growth potential, all that earnings potential is in the future, but as you know, time goes forward and you move into the future, that earnings growth potential has to either be realized or not realized, as the case may be, or the company has to R&D new growth potentials uh, to, to keep it going. Um, and so what that means is price multiples tend to go down. You might point out to companies like you know, Amazon or Netflix or Tesla that have had their multiples on stilts for over a decade well well sure you know that can happen or companies like microsoft or google where they have above average multiples and they have above average growth prospects pardon me sure that can happen all i'm saying is that over the long term it doesn't mean in the short term things can't go up and down and sideways i'm just saying over the long term a price multiple will contract for a company as that potential gets realized that's all i'm saying so anyway, account for that in your valuation. Account for the fact that that price multiple may be smaller in the future. And then uh, the last thing I want to say, I want to talk about the, the third rail. Um, I mentioned before how no one's really just one or the other value or growth investing. So there's this uh, third rail they call compounders. And I'm always hesitant to jump on any sort of trend. But I'm not jumping onto it because uh, it's popular. Um I'm that third rail, that compounder ideology, uh, because I suck dick at the altar of Warren Buffett. And uh, Warren Buffett is a compounder. He refers to himself as 80% Ben Graham, 20% Philip Fisher. Ben Graham, of course, being a proxy for value investing and Phil Fisher being a, a proxy for growth investing. Um, I happen to think he's probably closer to 50-50 or whatever. I've never really thought about what my own percentages are. Maybe I'm 80-20 growth value, whatever. Um but, but really what I look for is both. I want multiple expansion and I want the, the high growth rate. I want my cake and I want to eat it too, in other words, God damn it. So 
those opportunities do come along. So, you know, last year, because of the pandemic, you could buy amazing companies with amazing growth prospects at below average prices. Uh, you know, like Google and Facebook, these were companies with high growth prospects trading at around 20 times earnings when historically they were trading in the 30s. And so I was able to buy those companies. And so if they just converged to where they had been, that's a 50% come up on the price multiple side. And then of course you have all that free rolling exposure to the growth rate side. So that's where that double barreled return on investment comes from. Now, unfortunately with them, their price multiples converged to their historical averages a lot faster than I wanted them to. I wasn't done buying them for Christ's sake. And in fact, I bought them way too slowly. I made the mistake. I, I knew they were a great price Google at a thousand dollars. It was, it was under a thousand dollars at certain days. It, and I had the cash and it's, uh, yeah, and you know you can't beat yourself up too much. Uh, but my point is to learn from it. My point is when an opportunity comes along, don't say, "Well, I think the price is going to be lower in a week." No, take that crystal ball, shove it right up your ass, and seize the moment. You, you don't know what the future will bring, but you do know at this time it's an amazing company and an amazing price. But again, those opportunities they don't come along every day, but so, but but they do happen. So that's that's really what I look for. I mean, and the nice thing about doing that is if you buy a company that you believe has amazing growth prospects for just an average price, well, then if the growth prospects just end up being average, you don't get killed. Whereas if you buy a company with an amazing growth prospects and it has a high valuation, well, there, if the value, if the amazing growth prospects don't pan out and you just have average growth prospects, well, then you get killed from the, 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 um, the price multiple contracting too. So you're getting, you have two dicks in your ass at that point, which is a situation most people don't want to be in because the earnings sucked and then you're getting pounded by the multiple contraction. So in any case, uh, yeah, so that's really it. Um, that's how I look at it. So, all right, hope that's been helpful. And if not, uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry for wasting your time, I guess. But uh, you have a great day. This has been Dan Hansen with How Not to Suck at the Stocks. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.